0: The Art Newspaper special Abu Dhabi Focus this week comes to you in association with Abu Dhabi Art. Hello and welcome to the Art Newspaper podcast. I'm Anna Summers-Cox, the founder, editor and chairman of the Art Newspaper and this week we've been in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates to bring you a special three-part series of podcasts during the memorable week in which Louvre Abu Dhabi has been inaugurated. In this, our final podcast of the series, we will share a performance from Abu Dhabi Art by the Egyptian artist and musician Hassan Khan, who won the Silver Land for Promising Young Artists at the Venice Biennale this year. But first, we speak to the curator Maya Allison and the dealer Tadeusz Ropak about how the art scene in the UAE has developed in recent years. Tadeusz, who has galleries in London, Paris and Salzburg, has been coming to Abu Dhabi Art since it began nine years ago. I spoke to him just after he flew in from Shanghai, where the gallery is also participating in the Art Zero 21 Fair. Uh, hello, today. How long have you been coming to um, Abu Dhabi?
1: Um, I think I came here the first time ten years ago, when Sadiat Island was basically only sand. I remember Thomas Crunchy was the director of the Guggenheim Museum back then, and we took a helicopter and he kind of... Uh, flying over pure sand so 10 years to Abu Dhabi when this whole vision started and the last seven years to the fair also uh, to participate and what have you learned in these 10 years about the place well I still belong to a generation where art was considered in European and American art and European artists wanted to show in America and vice versa And I think coming here and really trying to understand a different culture makes you much more open to uh, a totally different world of art, to look at art. And I think, you know, thanks to coming here, we started looking into art from Iran, um, Pakistan. I think, you know, we really went out of our way to discover, and first to be be open and then to discover another world. And we're working very successfully with some of these artists who still live in Lahore or in Tehran. Um, And I think... You know, Dubai and Abu Dhabi are places where you feel you are very connected to this world so, which are uh, great bridges to this world
0: and uh, now the Louvre has opened, the Louvre Abu Dhabi has opened um, with a magnificent ceremony and all the rest of it, do you think it has been the, the great motor of change and cultural awareness here or um, do you think this is still to come, the greatest part of it is still to come
1: I think so, you know, listening to the speech of uh, President Macron yesterday and comparing it to the speech Mr. Girac gave 10 years ago when this whole project started, I think they were very similar because I think Girac back then really visioned, you know, this kind of art or culture playing an important bridge which kind of helps politics and economics and all these other uh, ways of uh, speaking of one nation to another. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, a, it, it's a great moment to be here now and to see you know, this museum open and uh, to see how it's embraced by the people of the region, but also how it's a huge signal to the world. I remember when I arrived here, um, I had a driver who was originally from Pakistan, and, you know, and he asked me what I'm doing here. so said, I came here for the opening of the Louvre. And he said, oh, yes, 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 I'm trying to get a ticket, but I can't get a ticket until the end of December. He hardly spoke English. He has never been to a museum. Um, so I think, you know, the, 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 this incredible impact in the region and really far beyond is really remarkable and amazing. And I wish them all the luck. They deserve it. They went through many critical moments and... Uh, to many chaotic moments, but I think it's there now and it's a great, great landmark for international culture and therefore also for building bridges on a different level in politics.
0: Now, you're one of the art dealers who really is global. Um, I mean, I know that you have just arrived last night from Shanghai, the opening of the museum there, where um, you have um, you're responsible for some of the pieces that are on display. Um, to, um, to quote um, university exam questions, um, would you care to compare and contrast um, Shanghai with uh, the Emirates?
1: You know, I think in, in China you have much more of a tradition, much more of an heritage than here. Here things were built into the sand. Um, but this moment of beginning, I think this is something you can compare. Not so much the rest. I think China builds on a very different intellectual background, um, on a very different drive, um, on a very different economics also. I think where economics play a lot much bigger and larger role than here. Here I think the educational role is much more important and much more in the first row of expectation. Uh, I think the dynamic is similar, but the uh, infrastructures and the expectations are very different at the end.
0: People hate answering this question, and you probably won't answer it, but are there any local artists, by which I mean in the whole Middle East, etc., um, to whom you respond particularly as
1: a, as, a, as, a, as a connoisseur? I've been to a few studios here in, in the Emirates, and uh, we still have to see what is coming out of here. Um, so you know for instance one artist which we represent now his name is um, Imran Qureshi uh, he lives in Lahore uh, but his starting point was here you know I remember very well when I came to the Sharjah Biennial like five years ago six years ago and I saw his installations on the on the tiles of the inner court um, one of the buildings in Sharjah so you know this was an artist who was totally unknown in the western world he still lives in Lahore he was invited by the uh, Sharsha Foundation to be part of this and it was his first major showing and since then he has made an incredible career he has done an installation at the rooftop of the Metropolitan Museum in New York uh, we have had very successful exhibitions in Paris and in Austria so I think this place here is important to connect with artists from the region definitely Thank you very much to Deus
0: Now to my Allison curator and founding director of the Art Gallery at New York University Abu Dhabi. Hello Maya. Um, Could you tell me about the show that you've put on at the gallery at New York University Abu Dhabi at the moment?
2: Currently on view we have an exhibition called Inventing Downtown Artist Run Galleries in New York City from 1952 to 1965. This would seem to be an odd choice of an exhibition. Um, for the UAE, but in fact, if you think about what's happening in the UAE with the arts right now, and what 1950s New York did for for New York as a cultural capital, there are many parallels. Um, how have you seen the
0: Emirates developing? In fact, uh, 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 you know, a gallery scene. This connection between dealer, artist, um, academic. Um, since you've been here,
2: I arrived six years ago. And when I first arrived, there were a handful of commercial galleries and uh, only one or two universities that were teaching fine art and art history. And in the time that I've been here, I've seen a huge growth in the commercial gallery scene. Sharjah uh, Art Foundation has been very active and important for a long time, but even they have been growing tremendously. Um, and, and I would say that, that since the announcement of the Saudi Art Museum project's um, there's been an overall increase in interest and commitment to arts education and, and activity
0: Now people in the West are pretty condescending about um, this part of the world, they uh, constantly ask me whether this museum, which is called the Museum of the Desert, um, actually is being plonked down in a kind of cultural void where people are not interested in art uh, or, or even consider it forbidden, Um
2: What do you feel about this? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Um, When people talk about uh, the arts institutions in the UAE being sort of parachuted in or um, being brought wholesale from somewhere else, uh, I I would challenge them to look more closely at what's actually been happening here. In a country that's developing very quickly, that means its infrastructure also has to develop. Um, As the infrastructure has been developing in the last... 30, 40 years always there have been artists making art uh, the infrastructure makes it possible for us to see these artists but they've actually always been here um, and I had an exhibition, I, I organized an exhibition last spring uh, that involved an in-depth interview and research uh, with artists who've been active since the 1980s uh, and they're, a very, they're some of our most important artists and they didn't come out of nowhere and are they equally
0: distributed around the Emirates or are some Emirates, we say, leaders in, um, in artistic uh, engagement?
2: It's interesting. It would be tempting to say that Sharjah was a real focal point for art- artistic education uh, because they have been very actively providing arts education and the Emirates Fine Arts Society, which formed in 1980, was really critical to the development of artistic community in the UAE. However, many of the artists that we know actually come from different emirates, so the emergence of an artist really has to do with their um, access to education and support. It does not seem to correlate only to where they live. Uh, two of our most important senior artists come from Korfakan, uh which is on the east coast of Sharjah and has very little artistic activity, but there's a rich community supporting the development of artists within, um, sort of out of sight of the obvious places. Now it's always said that
0: the art market is necessary to the development of a healthy art scene, although it can also be the death of a healthy art scene. Um, do you feel that the, um, the growth of the commercial fairs here and the commercial galleries have been a great help?
2: I would say that the growth of the commercial fairs and the commercial art scene have been part of in turning up the volume on the overall conversation about what art is, why we have art, the value of art, both financial and otherwise, um, and sort of complicating the understanding of art as something that belongs in a museum. So in art fair, uh, we see it in a very commercial context, which is very difficult for for some people, but it also allows you to understand that art art is a living thing and that it's being bought and sold and made and and moving around through many different types of environments, not only museums.
0: I sometimes wonder if there's a risk whether we are imposing our own concept of the contemporary on cultures which have a different artistic tradition and might naturally go in a different direction, but because the force of the art market is so strong and the publicity of um, Western art is, 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 is so dominant. Um, do you ever have that worry yourself? No.
2: <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um I do. I'm very conscious about bringing my own um, training in art history to bear on artwork that I'm seeing, and it, that training and background in art history can actually make it difficult for me to understand what I'm looking at. Um, but and so I can see how this could be a question, right? That that an artist would then start to change their art based on their exposure to, say, a Western canon. Um, the reality is that the artists that have been here and making art uh, throughout the history of the UAE have been doing so in dialogue with the rest of the world. It's not like they were in a bubble. So, so we, in my interviews and research on this topic, I've seen uh, many, many accounts of people coming from abroad, but also these artists going abroad, not only to the West, not only to London, but also to Kuwait, to Lebanon, to India, to Japan. Now, in Abu
0: Dhabi Art, you've been asked to curate a non-commercial pavilion, which is about the relationship of Emirati artists to the international art scene. So um, since that um, corroborates what you've just said, could you describe what you have put into this show?
2: Yes, um, so the exhibition that I've curated uh, at the request of Abu Dhabi Art uh, brings three of our most senior Emirati artists together with four international artists. So we have Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim from Khan, Mohammed Khazim from Dubai, uh, Eptisam Abdulaziz from Sharjah, so those are the three Emiratis. And, um, and each of them are working with the concept of the line in a very explicit and formal way, uh, which has allowed them to actually engage narratives. So what I did was I, I began with what I know of their work historically, uh, which is they're, they're taking this very simple compositional element of the line and, and allowing it to bring narrative to what they're doing. For example, um, uh Abdulaziz will draw a line around a room and then that becomes a horizon, but it also divides, it's also related to a mathematical concept. So thinking about their tendency to work with the line in this really kind of loaded, complicated way, I began looking at other artists um, who are doing sort of unexpected things with this. So it becomes both a formal and a um, kind of a treasure hunt. So Sel- Selwa Rauda Shouker, which is the famous Lebanese abstract artist, um, uh, works with these sculptures that all relate to the idea of the infinite line in some way or another. So her sculptures are always these sort of stacks of objects that reach up towards the sky and they seem like they could go on forever. Um, it's a very organic form of the line which relates to Muhammad Ahmed Ibrahim's work. Um, we also have uh, Shilpa Gupta, an Indian artist who uses a thread to draw a tree, but that tree lives on the border between uh, two countries. And and she's talking about how the border is a line, but the border also represents the unity of those countries through its landscape. Each of these works deals in some way with being inside and outside of an idea, of a culture, um, and of a narrative.
0: Finally, the Louvre Abu Dhabi um, has just opened. It's a magnificent building. It's got absolutely wonderful things inside it. How has it already and how will it change um, the cultural scene, the wider cultural scene in the region, do you think?
2: On the one hand, the Louvre is an expression, the Louvre Abu Dhabi is an expression of the UAE's own uh, character. Right. So the UAE is a crossroads. Um, it's rethinking our global relationships. And it makes very a lot of sense for something like the Louvre Abu Dhabi to open here. So in some ways, we are changing the Louvre. <laughs> and then at the same time, the announcement of the Louvre Abu Dhabi um, has changed the UAE. And the minute that announcement happened, when we look back at the history... Uh, in 2007, the announcement was made and there's an explosion of exhibition activity and there's the spotlight of the art world on the UAE which brings the artists to the surface. Thank you very much, Maya.
0: In our first podcast, we discussed Abu Dhabi Arts Gladu Batawaya program of performance art organized by Tarek Abu al fatou here we share an excerpt of the performance Live Ammunition, Music for Clapping, String Quartet and Live Electronics by the Egyptian artist Hassan Khan, recorded in Cairo in February and performed again here at Abu Dhabi Art a couple of days ago. Our Deputy Digital Editor Amy Dawson spoke to him about his work.
3: I'm here with Hassan Khan and uh, we've just seen your performance at Abu Dhabi Art, which we've just heard on the podcast. And um, I wondered if maybe you could explain a little bit, you explained at the start of the performance here about how you first performed it in 2013 and um, then you took kind of a break from it um, for four years. years. So maybe you can explain a little bit um, how that came about.
4: I wasn't very satisfied with my first performance of it uh it was a, it's a i find it a difficult and challenging piece uh part of it follows the logic in which you know i usually work with music in which means that usually i work with a section that is precomposed in the studio i make the music and then i turn it into a uh a, a something that i can sort of interpret live and put it in relation to a system uh, which is basically a feedbacking mixer, which means that it is a mixer where all the outputs come back into the inputs. Which also means it generates chaos. It generates sound as chaos, and uh, I find what I'm trying to do is to sculpt that chaos into form and put it in dialogue with a precomposed, you know, uh, musical section. And together, this dialogue produces what you see live.
3: And so what was it about that time? And you were saying about it was a situation right. in 2013 that, yeah, of that kind I of mean, a political and societal yeah, of kind course. of Of course, I mean,
4: 2013 was a, was a coup in which uh, the horizons that had opened or the horizons, not, not had opened, the horizons that had become visible because they were always there and are still there, had become visible around 2011. I usually do not like to speak about my work in those terms, mm. whether in music or in art. Uh, But with this piece specifically, uh, the fact is it was directly a response to that condition. The title makes it very clear. It's called Live Ammunition. Uh, Part of the composition is these clapping patterns. And what fascinates me about that, other than the rhythmic possibilities is the fact that it's, you know, hand, human hand, striking human hand. Of course, I, I never use samples, so it's all recorded uh, with percussionists who are being the clappers. So it's, it's sort of a collective action in a way. There's a collective action with this clapping that I'm turning into a form of music, and that is put in contrast to a machine, the machine being string quartet. String quartet is usually associated with a sort of elegant sound, but I wasn't interested in that. So uh, what you're listening to is like five or six string quartets on top of each other. Uh, and they're playing in unison, which is not normal for string quartets. String quartets are usually arranged in a, you know, sort of a polyphonic form. Uh, but I chose to turn the whole string quartet as if one string quartet is an instrument in itself.
3: You, you live and work in Cairo yes. and um, it's been through a period of transitions, especially since 2011 and the uprising. Um, and straight after that uprising, there was a massive kind of flourish of um, creativity and especially in public. And, um, and there has been a little bit of a, well, there's been a crackdown since. Um, and there have been a number of kind of institutions that have shut down or found it very challenging to keep going. And I just wondered what it was, what it's like now to kind of live and work and create work in Cairo and in Egypt.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe that narrative of flourishing post-2011. You know, I don't believe it works like that. I think that, you know, in Cairo there was, I mean, before 2011 there was a lot of things happening, of course. 2011 just put a focus on things and also uh allowed a lot of people to you know kind of also hysterically express themselves uh whether you know i'm not going to judge that formally i mean there's something positive about it as in terms of uh socially there's something positive about it but you know if you want to look at it formally there's also a lot of really bad stuff that comes out in these moments you know just bad work that's very common
3: and um, I wondered if maybe we could talk a little bit about your piece at Venice. Yep. You uh, won the Silver Lion this yep. year uh, for your piece, uh, your sound installation. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Yes, Composition for a Public Park. I don't call it a sound installation.
4: I disagree with everything you're saying. I'm sorry. I don't, everybody calls it a sound. I don't call it a sound installation. For me, it's, a, it's an artwork. Uh, composition for a Public Park is a piece in three movements that is installed in public parks. Uh, people can. it's a multi-channel musical composition uh, every movement has a different musical language uh, the audience or the visitor to the park can walk literally through the music as they walk they hear different instruments at different places uh, there's also a libretto so for each movement there's a voice uh, there's a libretto that is spoken in the voice of a man and a woman so you can hear it in both voices and uh, the libretto the three texts or the three librettos of uh, of the piece all revolve around this kind of strange relationship between our subjectivity and the world we share with others. That's sort of what they're about, but from different angles. So the first one is called Stasis and Majesty, and it assumes the the voice of an old, bitter man somehow. And through that voice, it sort of kind of looks at the seduction and potential of glory and also like the deep, you know, loss that you can suffer with that. Uh, of shared shared existence, and the second the second movement is called the revolving jewel, and it's about seduction in a way, uh, and the voice is not clear the gender of the voice. Sometimes it seems to be a man, sometimes it seems to be a woman, and the third uh, movement is called no political romanticism, and no political romanticism is not through the voice of a, of a person. It is through the voices the voice of forces. So it is about the forces of appropriation. It is about the forces that actually defeat transformation. It's about uh, how anger can be contained and uh, how frustration can be turned into a way of keeping people down. So it sort of tries to look at that through this context. So the piece touches things that are very, the way I imagine it, things that are very close to maybe anyone, but there are also things that you can't exactly grasp. And I sort of wanted to live there, live in that, make the piece live in that spot.
3: And, um, the, obviously winning the silver line is a amazing achievement and, um, has probably given you even greater international recognition and has anything come from it? Do you have projects that are coming, coming up that you're? Yeah.
4: Yeah. But, but, you know, prizes, I just want to say that, uh, it, I mean, it's good to win prizes because it's good for your vanity and it's like, gives you opportunities, but art, you know, of course, honestly, you you know prices and art this doesn't really make sense that's the truth you know but cool you know if you're going to give me especially if it's priced with money cool you know (laughs) that's even better
0: this was the final podcast in our Abu Dhabi focus series you can listen back to the first two episodes and find all of our Abu Dhabi focus coverage on our website theartnewspaper.com including videos from Louvre Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi art you can also keep up to date with all the latest art world news on our social media. Follow us on Facebook at The Art Newspaper and on Twitter and Instagram at TheArtNewspaper.official. Thank you for listening.